Bones, visit us in our haunted multiplex for more They Slayed Another One, where each week we take the skeletons out of the cinematic closet and put it on the screen and judge it for its quality. <laughs> and I am one of your hosts, Corey. <laughs> Sounds like there's a lot more than one host over there. I'm your other host, Liam. There's many hosts over here! <laughs> and this week, before we talk about the film, Liam, what are you doing for this Halloween? I'll be handing out candy to uh, kids for sure. And I'm going to go to uh, one of those haunted attraction, like haunted farm things you know where you can like walk through oh yes i do and, <laughs> and like buy buy desserts and stuff i'm gonna spend the night at one of those that'll be cool i'll watch some movies um i still have a lot to tackle on my halloween list uh, what are you doing what are you what are you doing for halloween well before we talk about me will you be wearing a costume will i be wearing a costume yeah i have a santa hat that i'm looking at right now that's so I'll not probably... a costume of course it is. I wouldn't wear it regularly. Wrong holiday! <laughs> I'm the Crypt Keeper and I say that's the wrong holiday! What do you think? And Crypt I'm Keeper, a vampire and I say that is the wrong holiday! And I'm Cory and I say that's the wrong fucking holiday, dude. <laughs> so what should I dress up as? Just like literally anything else. You could dress up as me. Like with. What would I. How would I do that? Um. Uh, you roll up your you roll up your jeans at the ankle, right? I really I do. It's one of my fashion hallmarks. So you could just do, do that. that. Put on some glasses. Part my hair down the middle. Ravishingly handsome. Uh, wear <laughs> wear fresh shoes. Buy new shoes just for the holiday. Fresh pair of shoes every day. Throw the old ones in the garbage. Yeah. Well, I could. No, actually, I can't do that. The reason I wanted to wear the Santa hat was so I wouldn't have to spend any money. I don't know if I have anything else in the house that i can wear as a costume well i mean you know sometimes you, you can always just like carve a pumpkin and put it like straight on your head <laughs> that would be uh unpleasant yeah yeah sometimes things are unpleasant like doing this voice and yet here i am it's for the greater good just it's like me wearing a best. pumpkin on my head is for the best so what about you what are you doing for halloween probably like more or less the same thing i don't even know if we have a ton of kids around here to really worry about candy all that much but like we'll be as festive as possible a couple days beforehand i'm gonna be like doing a halloween party but i guess once you become an adult nobody throws the halloween party on the actual day of halloween anymore because if it's a weekday people have jobs yeah it's just it's been so long since halloween has been on a weekend it had to have been at least like 15 halloweens ago that tracks <laughs> so you're throwing your own Halloween party? Uh, no, I have some friends who are throwing like a Halloween thing and there's going to be some like bands and stuff. A whole shindig is happening. Oh, so you'll have to wear a costume for that. That's reason to dress up. I don't have anything prepared. So what are you going to wear then? If I can find it, I was thinking about digging out my old 10th grade Halloween costume, which was just Ducky from Pretty in Pink because that one was pretty good. I don't know if it what fits you... anymore, but... What would you have to dig out for that? Um, like, I had... We got a blazer from a thrift store, and we didn't have exact matching patches, like the ones on his jacket, so we, like, made him in a felt, and we did, like, a custom hat to try to make that fit, and we got, like, a very 80s pastel weird, like, button-up 
shirt and then like cuffed both sets of sleeves on that and then just had like light wash jeans and whatever shoes you need right right yeah you've told me about this and you said when you wore it in 10th grade people mistook you for liam gallagher or no i don't know if it matters which one but they just said i looked like a member of oasis and at the time (laughs) this is something i cared about so i felt like betrayed by my friends and i was very indignant and i'm like no i'm not dressed like oasis you guys don't get it so are you just confident that nowadays people won't mistake you for a Gallagher brother or you're just confident nowadays that you I won't listen care? to Oasis so I don't care what they think I'm dressed as. Oh, you didn't listen to Oasis back then. Not at the time. Mm, so it was. So then why was it offensive? Because I didn't like Oasis, so I was like, no, that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing something I like. Did you like actively dislike them or you just I was didn't like them unfamiliar. because you didn't like them? I knew Wonderwall mm. and like probably some other songs I didn't realize were Oasis songs. Mhm. Are they a Halloween band? Is this Halloween conversation still, or is this just Oasis cast? <laughs> no, I feel like they're not festive guys at all. No, like they don't. Their favorite they're, pastime they're is hating each other. Yeah, they're bah humbug for sure. Oh yeah, they hate Christmas. You heard it here first. Yeah, and we can talk all the shit we want about the Oasis brothers because I also don't think they're pro podcast. They might be. If we reach out on Twitter, do you think we could get Nolan or Liam Gallagher to be on the show? Nah, no, I think podcasts are too much fun. I don't think they like that. I, I don't think, think they, they like, like fun. fun. I, don't I think their so. definition of fun might be different, but I don't think that means they don't like it. Well, either way, it means they're not going to be on our podcast. With that attitude, they definitely won't. They might be if we call it Oasis Cast. Yeah, what if we just did one off-brand episode where we did just interview Oasis? Uh, how many listens do you think that would get? More than we currently get. <laughs> i would be so disappointed man i don't want i don't want well, any oasis famous, fans right? to so it's like to we're us. not famous yet that's true we don't have the poll yet we'll get there but we're gonna voices trump- like these how could we not get some clout we'll get there and then we'll start hating each other and then you'll know that we've made it yeah when when we cancel the podcast due to hatred is when we've really peaked i think slowly but surely this yeah. is the first step to the rest of our lives yeah like, I like you less because you're dressing up as the wrong holiday. Step one. <laughs> thought you were going to say you like me less because I'm dressing up like you and that would be sad. <laughs> no, that would bring you back into my good graces for sure. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll I'm do a benevolent that. god. Like, you could just, like, appease me and I'm like, cool, love it. You just have to give me some clothes to borrow so that I still don't have to spend any money. That do you wear right. Santa hats? If I were a Santa hat, no, would that they be never being fit you? my head. They were too small. Oh. <laughs> They don't sell, like, extra large. They don't. Apparently not. It never fit. I could never, like, rock one of those. Yeah. I feel like they only get bigger lengthwise. They don't get bigger lengthwise. Yeah, and the trick to that is they're, like, tapered, so it's not like I can fit more of me in there because there's more material. Yeah. They're a a lie, is what they are. Yeah. Pumpkin, though. I I bet you I could get my head in a pumpkin. For sure. It would depend what pumpkin, though. It's not one size. Pumpkins come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Yeah, I so could it's kind of weird. I could get a gourd if I wanted. It's Large weird that gourd. Santa hats, Santa hats don't come in all shapes and sizes because they're man-made. So like, Santa hats ostensibly should use would be able to make them as scale. large as possible. Santa hat should use a pumpkin scale, so they can just like, if there's a pumpkin size, then Santa hats will also be that size. They have to make a Santa hat to accommodate all known pumpkin sizes. <laughs> is what I'm suggesting. That way, the holidays would be even more inextricably linked and then i could wear a santa hat for halloween all right we're probably good to get into it now 
And for one, that's not even the voice. That's not it. Hang on. Excuse me while I get back. It had to to be one of them that you were doing. That was just guy with some bravado. Like that wasn't anything. (sighs) Okay. Ooh, and for one last time, I will get into this character. Write in and tell us, who do you think this is supposed to be? I don't know. This week, we watched the 2016 remake of Cabin Fever, which is perhaps better known as an Eli Roth film from 2000 and... Three. Three. However, this one is directed by a man named Travis Z. And on that (laughs) rhyming note, I'm stopping these voices. Enjoy the Halloween season, everybody. This is a film that stars Samuel Davis, Gage Golightly, Matthew Daddario, Nadine Crocker, and Dustin Ingram as a group of college-age camping hooligans and tomfoolers. And they go out to this uh, remote cabin, and um, it doesn't go great for them. I think that's a <laughs> safe described, You described a lot of movies there. Yeah, but they don't all star these people, so they know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, They don't all star your favorite actors. Matthew Daddario. Matthew Daddario. This is the second time we've talked about a Daddario on this podcast. Is this a backdoor Daddario cast? You think they're related? They are related. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, cool. Bros or what? I mean, one of them's a girl, so not bros. <laughs> one of them is a bro. <laughs> one of them is a bro by default. And then one of them oh. is not a bro. Well, hey, that's that's pretty cool. Well, I don't know how I they talk that. about themselves, so like maybe they consider themselves bros or like sisters or they just say siblings. Like I don't know how they do it over there in the Daddario household. Maybe they like had a bet like in like uh, 2010. Who's get famous first? Wait. Well, no, they were just like, because yo. Because Alexander like- Daddario wins, dude. <laughs> They were like, we each just need to be in a remake of a horror film. And then Alexandra did it first, right? And then dude was really scrambling. He couldn't find anything for a few years because it's just like after Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th had all been remade. It came to be 2016. Yeah, he missed the boom. And then Cabin Fever comes across his desk and he's like, fuck, all right. Yeah, so Cabin Fever is interesting because the reason things go bad for these campers is because there is some sort of terrible flesh-eating disease in the water and also in a man in the woods and also potentially in a child and then definitely in a child and um we can get into all of that but liam you have some hot info for us about the original cabin fever and how this movie relates to that it's a weird one folks it is weird so here i'll just start it makes uh... a great halloween spectacular because it's a weird one folks I'll start with my experience uh, with Cabin Fever. So Cabin Fever is actually one of the first horror movies I remember seeing, much like Carrie or American Werewolf in London, which is cool because those uh, those movies are, you know, horror classics and sort of it makes sense. But Cabin Fever was a new film at the time. This was probably 2004. It was about the time it was playing on uh, TV. And I have a distinct memory of seeing my mom and dad watching the movie on TV on cable. And it was the scene where, um, uh, Jeff and Marcy are having sex and Marcy puts a finger in. Oh shit. Okay. Wait, hang on. <laughs> what? What's happened? I've, uh, so I've just realized that it, in talking about the original, I'm referring to things that you haven't seen, Corey, because you've only seen the this one, right? I don't care. Okay, so there's... I'm not going to see the original. 
Right, right, right. But I just, it would sound weird if I... So in the original, Jeff and Marcy are having sex, and Marcy puts a finger in Jeff's ass, and that's the scene that I remember seeing oh. on TV. And and to me, I was like, this is what adult movies are. Like, I'm familiar <laughs> with Toy Story and stuff, but adults watch movies like this. And um, so from that point on, Cabin Fever was kind of, it was, it was this held in really high... Uh, esteem in my head because I was like this is the pinnacle of entertainment eventually I'm going to grow to a point where I'm going to appreciate this movie and so Not at quite. some point at some point I caught it on cable myself and I really dug it the whole movie and then I started to rent it from my local video store now we're probably 2005 2006 and I would bring friends over and we would watch this movie over and over and over again and it's a movie that is Packed with special features on the DVD. It has five or six commentary tracks. Eli Roth is on every one of them, but then there's a rotating slew of caster members, and uh, you know, I think a cinematographer might be on one on different commentary tracks. And so there's six commentary tracks. There's uh, a bonus feature of short films he did in college. These stop motion animated shorts that I also watched over and over, and I just fell in love with this entire DVD and. Eli Roth as well because he's someone that is so out um, he's so open about the filmmaking process and he talks a lot much like Kevin Smith you know that's why there's so many commentary tracks there so once I got a hold of the internet I would look up interviews with this guy and I would read all about him and I can remember being in the eighth grade and we were doing an assignment where we had to list off who our inspirations are and I put Eli Roth and at this point he had a couple other movies like Hostel and I hadn't seen any of them. I was just a Cabin Fever dude, but I thought Eli Roth was the coolest, coolest guy. And so Cabin Fever has stuck with me for a long time. I've watched it a few times since uh, coming into adulthood, uh, you know, since I understand the world of a woman putting a finger in your ass. And the movie hasn't, um, it hasn't lessened at all. In fact, I've only found it better. I watched the original with my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago. I showed it to her and I was so excited to see that I love the movie now more than I ever have. I think it's a brilliant movie and it's one of my favorite horror movies. And so when it comes to this remake, we've got to keep in mind that Cabin Fever isn't Carrie and it isn't an American werewolf in London, right? It came out in 2003 and it's being remade here in 2016. The original movie was a modest success. I think it got $30 million or so. I can't believe <clears throat> you knew that off the top of your head because that is correct. <clears throat> cool. Uh, so it was, a, it was a really big return. You know, it was a low budget movie and it got Eli Roth a lot of gigs. So it was a successful movie, but it certainly wasn't a juggernaut of horror filmmaking. You know, um, we got a few direct to DVD sequels after Cabin Fever came out. So there was a cult following for the movie. There's a market for it. But this remake happens and it doesn't, it's not a wide release remake, which probably would have been even stranger. It's not wide release and it uses the same script as the original, more or less. There's stuff taken out, but there's basically nothing put into the movie. Weird. It's, it's very similar to Psycho, I would say. Whereas Psycho is, the difference is Psycho is more of an experimental shot for shot remake and it's it's, hey, we're going to see what happens when we remake a movie that people know is a classic and it's 30 years old and we're going to get it in modern day with modern actors and we're going to see how it works. We're going to put it in color. This is 
similar, but it's different in all the the most strange of ways, you know. So, it, original, so this isn't shot for shot then, like it's not shot okay. for shot, no. But it is it is pretty much line for line, and um, the differences are are pretty slight and um, pretty baffling when it comes down to it. <laughs> um, the stuff that they wanted to change, and it's a movie that. You know, it it doesn't feel to me like it needed to be updated, right? It's shot for shot. It's it's uh, sorry, it's line for line. It's still in color. It's uh, not that it's, old. It's not that old, and you know the people who and love Eli it. Eli Roth is still involved. Yeah, and like... so the way he the way he's involved is he has a producer credit. But what that means is that he just gave the film its blessing because the property didn't belong to him anymore. That's why they made these direct to DVD sequels that didn't have his involvement in them. So a company owned this movie and they had the idea to remake Cabin Fever for whatever reason, and they came to Eli Roth and said, Hey, we're gonna do this with or without you. And Eli Roth said, Okay, cool, I'll let you do it. I'm excited to see how it turns out because the way he puts it is that this is a script he wrote when he was 22 years old, right out of university. And for six years, people told him that it was crap and it wasn't going to get made. And then it got made and it was a success. And that was so vindicating for him. And so he said that when he was approached, um, that they wanted to use the same script again, because they were upfront about that from the beginning and they wanted to remake the movie. It was an ego boost for him. And he said, yeah, you know, this will be another testament to the people who said that this movie was bad because now the script is going to get made a second time. They're going to use the same script. And also he was interested to see what would happen if the movie was restaged, sort of like, you know, being remade like Psycho. He gets to feel like Alfred Hitchcock and it's like this movie lived on so much that it's going to be remade and it's going to be adapted sort of like a you know a stage production or something people are going to tell the story again and so that excited him but um beyond that i don't think he had any creative involvement with the movie at all all right and before we get into my familiarity with this movie and the original and eli roth because it's basically nothing um i may as well ask that in the time since have you checked out the rest of Eli Roth's movies and are you as a fan are you as big a fan of those as you are of this I this am being the I, original cabin fever to be clear yeah yeah I've checked out other movies by him and I like a lot of them um the green inferno is his cannibal movie and I saw that in theaters and that was a that was a blast and he has a movie called knock knock with Keanu Reeves that I love in a similar way to cabin fever where it's just it's so wacky it's such an interesting tonal clash and he's putting so much things he's throwing so much at the wall and it just makes a really fun movie to show to people and to revisit and to latch onto. and so that's probably knock knock is the other movie by him that i really love and the other stuff i like decently what i've seen hostel is okay i haven't seen hostel part two and i haven't seen the movie he did with bruce willis death wish which is also a oh remake. yeah he rebooted death wish that i forgot yeah. that even happened for um, anybody who doesn't know that's like a really prolific canon action or canon film productions action series starring charles bronson right and so that remake sort of came and went it wouldn't be a bad uh, idea to do it on this podcast as well um i think that was his kind of that was his effort to go mainstream and see how it works and it didn't work out but then he took another shot at it 
with a Jack Black movie called The House with a Clock in Its Walls. That's mm-hmm. a adaptation of a gothic uh, book, a gothic children's book. And that movie is really great, too. I think that that movie fits really well with kid horror movies that are sort of gateway films into the genre. And I really like what he did there. So he's someone that I'm still interested in following. I, I keep tabs on what he's doing. I still like reading interviews with him. I think he's a really interesting guy, um, sort of the same way I feel about Kevin Smith. You know, I just I just like him as a person. But uh, Cabin Fever is absolutely my favorite film by him. And it's the one that I would hold above the rest. When it comes to Cabin Fever and when it comes to Eli Roth, the same thing is true that I said just a little bit ago, which is I have minimal familiarity with his actual work. I haven't seen any of it. I'm familiar with him because I follow film enough that you start to hear about certain people and Eli Roth is one of those figures that kind of sticks out for a particular brand of movie and so I've heard about him in passing but never sat down to watch anything and I didn't know anything about the original Cabin Fever or this version of Cabin Fever before you pitched me on watching it so I was going in as a pretty blank slate and um, that kind of meant that I didn't really have any expectations beyond what I knew you had told me about the movie, which is that you like the original a lot and it means something to you and that this was the same script and also that this movie makes some wild choices. So I was prepared to be entertained, but I didn't have anything crazy going on going into it. But I think what would probably be a more interesting place to start is what you think about the remake of Cabin Fever. I think the remake of Cabin Fever is... (laughs) boring and unpleasant and not good i think this movie (laughs) i told Corey earlier today that that's what i thought he would say about this movie but i was really projecting dude i think this movie sucks i think it's so so bad and i feel like such an elitist because i don't want to come from a place of you know i love the original and this isn't the original so it sucks because those are the people that we were kind of pointing the figure at when we did the psycho episode and Um, the halloween episode (laughs) And the Halloween episode. So Just I'm convinced, last week. Right. We so I'm convinced that this I'm convinced that this isn't that. It's not because I love the original. It's just because this is a bland, uninspired. Man, I'm so relieved. I was worried about recording this because yeah. for some reason I had it in my head that you liked this one too, and I didn't want to disappoint you because this movie fucking sucks. Yeah. It's real bad, and um, oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> and I'm gonna, Corey. I'm gonna make you watch the original. Because, yeah, that's um, fine. I know earlier I not, said I wouldn't. It's not but this. Like... No, the plan is absolutely for you to watch it. We're gonna talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay, great. Oh, dude, fuck. This is gonna be such a. Okay, great. I'm glad that we're on the same page here because I, as I was watching it just earlier today, a, I was already forgetting characters' names, and it had been like six hours. <laughs> which is not great. And um, I was sitting there and I was watching it and I was like, is there something that I'm not getting? And I ultimately decided that the answer was no and that the movie was just bad. Yeah. And I think that we'll, we'll dig into why. I think the biggest thing is its tone. Like, I have no idea what this movie's goals were. No idea. No idea if it wants to scare me. No idea if it wants to make me laugh. No idea if it's trying to do something in between. I don't know if it thought it was a fucking romantic comedy. I have no idea. Absolutely none. And the execution therein of whatever the fuck the game plan was is bad. 
Well, I'll tell you what, the goals to me are pretty clear because I know what they've taken out of the original movie and I know what they're keeping in. And um, subsequently, you know, I've read a couple interviews with the director and some people who worked on the movie. And the goal of this movie was to scare you. It was to take no cabin fever fucking way. Listen, Corey, the, the goal of the movie was to scare you. They took cabin fever, which is a black horror comedy sort of in the vein of evil dead a movie that throws everything at the wall it's it's totally representative of a filmmaker who thinks he's not going to be able to make another film and so he's just putting everything he's thought of in the last 28 years of loving horror movies and putting it in a movie there's so much in that movie it does so many different things some people would argue that it's not all successful but you can't deny that there's a lot going on whereas this movie guts all of that it's almost like it's a parody of horror of cabin fever and in order to be a parody they took out all the jokes and everything that made cabin fever charming you know it's blowing my mind because it's a yeah go ahead no you can finish you're the expert it's just it's just a total middle finger to the original movie because it 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 seems to put forward that it knows better than the original movie what the original's intent was it's like you know we're gonna take away all the stuff that made the original cabin fever interesting and okay i understand that as an experiment sure but when you actually think about the original cabin fever for a few seconds it's like there's actually not much in there besides the stuff that makes it interesting if you take that away it's it's exactly this movie it's the bland horror movie about five teens going to a cabin and they start to rot away i don't understand why you would even want to do that because i haven't even seen it right but i can assume that the fact that eli roth was a desperate filmmaker i don't want to put it that way but like desperate to get those ideas on screen it was like well this is my chance and then did it that's the whole appeal right like that would be the reason to watch it so i can't fathom approaching the man who made that and saying, hey, we're going to use the same script, but we're going to take out anything that's interesting, seemingly, and then just present people with that. Is that okay? Because, so, I, I say that I don't know what this movie's trying to do, and I think that's because it didn't execute on anything, but the movie kind of was putting cards on the table that I thought meant something else. I was getting a very, this movie kind of wants to be Cabin in the Woods vibe, like mm-hmm. both in the dialogue having like a very wink and a nod like dumb jokes in it and a self-awareness of like what is about to happen to these people and how these things usually go it feels like there's a really obvious self-awareness and the idea that this was meant to scare you rips all of that self-awareness away and just makes them look like incompetent filmmakers but aside from that i think of the opening title card right so Oof. Yeah, <laughs> exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so, first of all, the opening shot is really good. It's in like a giant sewer drain, right? And then you go through and there's a guy who we learn later is named Henry. And he's living out there in the woods, roughing it or whatever. And he's, speaking of roughing it, he's got a dog out there. And the dog's name is Pancakes. And, um, well, he gets there and Pancakes is like completely devoured into like a bloody corpse but it's a hilariously bad puppet 
or whatever it is. And then this guy's just yelling, pancakes! And then from the top of the screen, just this giant cabin fever logo swoops in with this outrageous music over this like shot of the woods. And I'm like, oh, this is a joke movie. Immediately, I'm like, oh, that's what we're doing. Is that this is not meant to be taken with a modicum of seriousness. And then the next ridiculous fucking thing that happens is this group of people show up at this like rural gas station or whatever and there is a kid sitting outside and a hand-drawn bunny mask which ultimately doesn't mean anything and is just there to be a stupid fucking pointless creepy visual and he bites jeff no sorry he bites paul on the hand yeah and then nobody really says that's a big deal in fact what they say is uh god damn it what did i tell you about biting city folk and then the person who just got bit says hey man it's not his fault whose fault is it paul who bit you paul and also why is this kid in a mask so it's setting up all these things in such an outrageously stupid way that you're like okay this is a joke and then also you have the guy who's like the dorky weird gamer internet guy who really needs to get back to his clan and play some Black Ops 2, you know? Some GTA 5, man, because this this script knows about video games. It's 2016. And um, he's a colossal fucking idiot. And <laughs> this movie's just full of stupid, stupid things. And you think you have to assume it's trying to make you laugh. But then when it gets into the heart of the matter, which is, you know, the horror element here is a flesh-eating disease. It's so viscerally gross and the effects are really quite good but it's so unpleasant and it's so raw but there isn't any tone to give that an impact right because Mm. the effects aren't engineered to make you laugh but the tone of the movie doesn't permit those effects to be scary so they just become gross and not in a gross out horror way just like an I don't want to look at this movie anymore way and I fucking hated it. <laughs> there was a point where I had to pause the movie and leave the room because I was just sick of looking at it. Like I was getting ill, which I don't right. normally do. Like I can handle my gore and I think gore can be used in a lot of different effective ways. But here it felt pointless and it just made it it made it bad and it made me feel bad. <laughs> I think this is um this helps my case that I'm not just upset with this movie because I like the original because you don't have any attachment to the original, right? And no. you are you feel very similar to how I feel, which is uh, sort of vindicating. And it makes me all the more excited to show you the original because I think these, these, these bits at the beginning that uh, confused you and seem so incongruent, those are actually slapdash references to the original and some aspects of the original and the fun of the original but they've taken them from different parts of the movie and they've slapped them in elsewhere and it's they're just all the comedic moments that do remain from the original and there are a few of them a few there are a few lines and the pancakes thing is sort of a reference to the whatever it's 
but th- they're delivered without any conviction or confidence because the movie doesn't seem to know what it wants to be. It just it just has decided that in some occasions it needs to reference the original, and in every other occasion, because it's the same script, it needs to do what the original did, but because you're not doing what the original did in the entirety of your movie, I would argue that the whole script needs to be changed yeah. because... Because the the movie script was written with that tone in mind, and so in this case, it just it doesn't work at all. You're not able to get into any of these characters, and the casting I think is terrible. All these people look like they're related. Like I couldn't I couldn't separate any of them. They're all like skinny with dark hair and dark features, and I couldn't I couldn't figure out who Except was for who. Karen, I guess. Karen's that's true. The that's one true. With blonde hair. She, yeah, gets, yeah, yeah. she gets to be different because her hair is blonde. And then and then we have the idiot dude, you know, with the assault rifle and who's just like... Bert, which just fucking pisses me off because they gave him like the like they gave him the dumb guy name and he's like, he brought an assault rifle for no reason and he lights a fire and then just walks into the woods and starts shooting things. <laughs> and like LARPing, basically. And it's like, what are you doing? Why are we here? Why am I watching this? Right. Um, quickly... <laughs> So the script is the same. Is the dialogue the same too? I know there's obviously some changes to like update it. Yeah, yeah. So when I say the script is the same, that includes oh, the dialogue. So there's stuff that's pulled is, line for line. So this movie is so badly executed, it makes a good script seem bad. Because I thought this dialogue was fucking terrible. Yeah, and there is absolutely some of that in the original. For example... I think the most infamous scene in the original is when Marcy, uh, one of the girl, the girl who's not blonde, the girl yeah, with dark she's, hair. She's the girl, yeah, with dark hair. It's uh, Paul's girlfriend. She's got very meticulously done eyebrows. Yes, yes, yes. And um, <laughs> I'm well, trying to think of Je- other, Jeff's other ways girl. to describe her. Yeah, it's Jeff's girlfriend, but Paul ends up having sex with her at the end. Yeah, I keep, do I keep getting their names wrong? <laughs> Yeah, they're very similar. They're all names. interchangeable. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Four letter names. Anyway, there's an infamous scene from the original that is carried over to this one where Marcy is saying to Paul that you ever feel like you're on a plane and it's going down and you want to grab the person next to you and have sex with them. That is from the original. And in the original, it is really, um, it seems super self serious and strange and, um, again, incongruent, but. For some reason, everything that's surrounding the movie, because the rest of the movie is like knowingly incongruent and weird, it just it has a lot more charm to it. Whereas in this movie, they've decided to take it basically it's line so for serious, line, and it, so it and doesn't it, make it, any yeah, sense. Like land. why the, and why they would do that then? Because at that point, if I remember correctly, Jeff has left and is just by himself somewhere else. Karen is dying in a shed, and Bert stole the Jeep and left, and himself is infected. And they're like, well, now's as good a time as any. And then the thing that makes that scene go from stupid to hilarious is that, so yeah, they're going to hook up in this kitchen, but they also decide to get completely naked for that. Which <laughs> I was just do like, what you gotta do. No, but I was like, that was the detail that made me think, like, why would this... Why are they doing this? And why are they doing it this way? And also, what the fuck kind of metaphor is that? I didn't hate that, like, her delivery of that or that inclusion of it, but it is just so weird that it feels like it belongs in a different movie. Yeah, yeah. And there's stuff in here that is, you know, pulled straight from the original movie, but it's just... So much of 
the stuff that had to have been a joke that I don't understand why it's not a joke. Like, can we talk about Hog Lady? Yeah, yeah, talk about Hog Lady. That's a perfect example. So, earlier in the movie, there is a point where the guy who owns Pancakes, Henry, scares Bert in the woods and Bert shoots him. Henry is the guy who is already succumbing to this, like, disease. It's the thing that his dog had, and he's like, he looks like a real fucked up mess of a man. And then he tries to find them at night to get help because he's, like, dying. And our fucking band of heroes assault him and then light him on fire is their solution to that problem. So they don't have a vehicle because he tried to steal their Jeep and now they need help because Karen is getting sick. So Jeff and Bert are walking around trying to find help because they don't have a phone. And they come across this lady and they go over... And she's just hooting and hollering, complaining that her pigs, her hogs, keep getting infected and like she can't eat the meat. And she's gutting it and there's just blood and guts everywhere and they're in this bucket and she's just covered. And um, she's just going on and on at these two idiots about the fact that she can't use these animals. And then just pivots on a dime to like, oh, actually, I'll help you guys. Oh, yeah, I knew Henry. Do you guys want water that I've covered with my blood? Oh, you don't? Okay, bye. <laughs> Like, how is that whole scene from her gutting the pig to her still being covered in pig's blood, getting them glasses of water and not wiping the glasses off that they then drink out of? That's from an infected animal they drink out of. How is that not a joke? Yeah, it's really off-putting. And (laughs) I think how is that not a joke is a good question because that stuff is all in the original movie. But in the original movie, it it feels like a joke, you know what I mean? Like, you're you're able to take it seriously. The movie isn't a straightforward comedy, but it's just, you're sort of laughing in disbelief at the the original yeah, movie. The black that's comedy not happening from, here. Does the black comedy just come from how, like, heightened it is, basically? Yeah, yeah, absolutely it does. So then the problem here is that this movie keeps all of that in, but is not heightened at all. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, because the original movie... It really, it feels like there's stakes, not not just for the characters, but behind the scenes as well. It, it very much feels like a movie where a group of people, the filmmakers, got, you know, secluded themselves at a cabin in the woods and, and buckled down and made this movie for 20 days. You know what I mean? And this movie, it feels like the filmmakers like wanted to take a resort vacation to a nice cabin house. And while they were doing it, they decided to just for funsies, like make a high school adaptation of the original movie that they like. And they decided to like do it from memory. And that's why you're getting, (laughs) and that's why you're getting scenes that are pulled from the original. I'll give you a great example here. The part where they're sitting around the campfire. I was about to talk about this. Right before Grimm comes, and the dude tells the story about the bowling alley massacre. So yeah, in what the, the original, fuck was that? Yeah, exactly. And in the original, it feels that way as well. But during that story, you're getting you're getting flash cuts to this really creepy footage. Oh that, my god, um, really? That sounds that, amazing. That takes place at the bowling alley, <laughs> and it's lit in this really scary way, and people are just getting slaughtered you see the slaughtered limbs getting thrown down the lane and like bumping into bowling pins and it gives the scene just a lot of depth and it feels like 
another thing where it's Eli Roth is like, yo, I don't want to just tell this story. I want to shoot it and I want to be able to have this creepy flashback because I'm, I might not be able to do a, a shoot a bowling alley massacre ever again. Whereas this movie, it feels like they were they, they had to do the bowling alley scene because everyone remembers that. But then actually shooting at the bowling alley, like takes didn't too have much it in effort, the budget right? for a bowling alley. And they just yeah, they just want to stay at their resort cabin and the cabin itself also looks way nicer in this movie you know in the it's original like a luxury movie, cabin for it sure. is and the location they're on this beautiful lake and then and the colors are all bright whereas in the original it doesn't feel like a summer movie i think this one does and the original feels like a fall movie there's a lot of orange and yellows and leaves are falling off trees and the the cabin looks 30 years out of date and you know it has old carpets and is made out of grimy wood and it's just changes like that that feel so just <laughs> disappointing what do you, what do you think about this bowling alley scene it's baffling it's just baffling because they don't even set up why they're talking about that at all mm-hmm. like they're just like oh let's tell a traumatic story and then he makes the goof of like Oh, well, trauma doesn't bring people together if you just tell people about it. You have to experience it. I don't know if that was supposed to be setting up that these people are about to go through trauma together. I don't know if I want to give this version of the movie that much credit, but it's the same script. So maybe to make this scene worse, it's followed up by the arrival of a random guy who calls himself Grimm with a dog named Dr. Mambo. And side note, I'm on the Wikipedia page right now. It says the dog's name is Dr. Rambo. That's wrong. <laughs> and when we're done recording, I'm going to fix it. Thank you, Corey. Because You're the hero of the if internet. If there's need- one thing I don't stand for, it's people being wrong online. <laughs> <laughs> no one's allowed to be wrong online. However, anyway, and then inexplicably, this guy just has a gigantic bag of weed. Yeah. And these are young kids, so you know they love weed. <laughs> and then he offers yeah. them weed and then leaves. Yeah. There's your so- scene. What the fuck? Like, why? Dude, it's so interesting to hear you talking about this movie because everything you're saying is, you know, plot points from the original. And you could say the exact same thing you're saying and say, why is this happening? And I'm sure there are some people that have that complaint with the original movie. But I feel that with the original movie, the why is in the way that it's delivered. And so I can imagine this with better execution, not making me ask questions. Right. So yeah, the bowling alley scene, it feels out of left field in the original as well, but it's just delivered with such conviction that I'm into it. And Grimm, when he comes in, first off, he's played by Eli Roth in the original. And he, and Eli Roth, I'm not I'm not even exaggerating. He gives my favorite performance in the He's this weird sort of surfer bro that has a fire in his eyes and like kind of seems lonely, but also kind of seems like he's comfortable like living in the woods all the time. Like I would like to see a spinoff movie of Grimm by himself. He's such an interesting character. And then you have him here and it's just like all the edges have been sawed off him. And when that happens, you're wondering why the hell is this guy in the movie? Of course you're wondering that because... You would be wondering that in the original if um, there wasn't this this sort of X factor that's making you wonder what's going on. Yeah, and then the rest of the movie really just kind of devolves from there into like a lot of bickering and a lot of the characters making choices that don't make any sense. So Karen starts getting sick and they're like, we need to get help, but the car doesn't work, so we got to walk. So two of them walk. Marcy gets in a canoe 
paddles away. We don't see her stop anywhere. And then she comes back. Why? Why did she do that? <laughs> um, there's a point where they all decide. Well, first of all, there's a point where a cop shows up uncalled for who really wants to fuck Paul for some reason. She calls him party man a bunch. Oh my gosh. Like is really laying it on real, real thick. And she's got a scar on her face and it's just this really weird setup. And it kind of looks like vaguely like Karen. And I don't know if that's intentional or not. And she says that she's going to report it, but like with a wink and a nod as if she's not actually going to report it and that she'll get a tow truck up there. And then they just don't do that. And that doesn't pay off until like the very end of the movie. And the whole rebuttal is, Oh, I needed to get a tow truck for the tow truck. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Dude. <laughs> oh, this makes me want to watch the original Kevin Peters so then badly. That seed, she's just told on the radio that all these kids are dangerous because Paul just finished killing some people who were trying to kill them, and then she's told to kill them all. And then she gives Paul misdirection, so he just gets lost in the wood and dies. And then Jeff comes back because Jeff just hid because he doesn't want to face problems head on or some shit. And um, he just gets unceremoniously shot by her. And then the movie ends. Ugh, this, uh, and like in between, all we really get is people not agreeing in a bunch of really egregious shots that are reminding us as an audience over and over and over again that the disease is in fact in the water. Every time somebody gets a fucking glass of water in this movie, you get a close-up, an extreme close-up of like the glass being filled or a faucet on or pipes leading into the lake. And it's like, hey, movie, we get it. We're with you. We understand how this works. Um, and the people in the movie don't realize it for a good hour and 15 minutes. So it's just agony that you keep getting around. It's like, we know you can start paying that off soon if you want. Like we got all day, but sure. I don't even want to like go into more detail than that. What's the point? Like (laughs) everything in between is bad dialogue for the most part delivered poorly. And a lot of it's irritating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dude, I'm so glad we're doing this podcast before you've seen the original because at the beginning of this conversation, I was thinking, oh man, we should have just done like a versus episode so we could do a compare and contrast so that I could tell him exactly what I mean and that, you know, you wouldn't just be so baffled by the choices in this movie. But as we've gotten to the end here, I think this is going to be a really interesting time capsule of your thoughts on kind of the foundation of cabin fever because again a lot of the criticisms you're saying are there in the original but i don't think they're they're criticisms in the original there's stuff that i would absolutely compliment you know like the the officer calling paul party man and then and then saying that there's a tow truck to get a tow truck like it's funny it's just not funny in this movie yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in the original movie, there's no sexual tension because the police officer is a male in the original movie, and he's just like this weird dude who kind of so loves like, partying. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah, and he he he's in contention with Eli Roth for the best performance in the movie. He's <laughs> absolutely he's a joy, and when you see him playing the role, you say, "Oh yeah, that's why this character is here because." Uh, this dude is the embodiment of this character and he's just so fascinating to watch he captures your eyes when he's on screen but when you take that actor out of it 
and you put this actor in, it's just and they're it's going really, for sexual tension. But like, yeah, and there just, isn't any because it's like what Paul's just gonna like stop what he's doing and just like fuck this cop right here. Like, what are you <laughs> setting up? Like, I mean, there's all kinds of people who just start like fucking in random encounters. So like maybe, but like it's true movie. We know that's not what's happening here. And then, okay, I also want to complain about the townspeople. We spend the whole opening scene setting that up. He then goes back, and there's another encounter. First of all, the kid bites him again. I don't know why. Like, it's a different guy. But I thought that they were going to set it up that the kid was actually immune, so then Paul wasn't going to get it. But he thought mm. he had it because he got bit. And then he was like, oh, it's a flight. And then he, like, I thought they were going to do something with that. That might have been interesting. So no, they just got needlessly weird kid and his shitty dad. And um, they like give chase to Bert and want to kill him. They do. And then Paul just kills them and it doesn't matter at all because Bert was going to die anyway. So why is it even still here? Because it doesn't really give the movie flavor because it doesn't feel that well executed. Yeah. Right? So it's like, I don't know what we're doing. Um, the last thing I think that's really worth talking about because it's the one thing about this movie that's genuinely good and it's another thing about this movie that fails because of execution is the effects. I think all of the gore effects are outstanding, but they're in service of absolutely nothing. And it's a tragedy. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I can't argue that at all. The gore is really good in this movie. The effects people, you know, like it's, did a great it's job. gross and it made me like very uncomfortable. And like some of it pairs up with like the people just making stupid decisions. It's like, okay, Marcy. You know that you probably have a flesh eating disease. You're going to shave your legs. That's what you're telling me. And that's urgent. Your friend is dying literally outside. But you need to shave your legs right now. This is what you're going to do with your downtime while your friends are all dying. Yeah. While you yeah, have a flesh eating disease. Like, what the fuck? But um, those are all really great effects. And, like, the stuff they do with Karen is really good. It's super gnarly and, like, gross and very unpleasant. My complaint is the same thing with everything else. Which is just that if this movie were scary, the effects would add to the horror, right? And if the movie were funny, it would add to the like gross out, oh my god, I can't believe what I'm looking at element to it, right? But because it's neither of those things, all it left me with was fairly realistic looking, very, very gross imagery. And it just kind of made me upset, but not definitely not in a way the movie wanted me to feel. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't even look at some of it just because it was deeply unpleasant. Yeah, and, you know, maybe the filmmakers would take that as a compliment. I in hope which the case, effects uh, people do. They're very talented, yeah. whoever they got to do it. Like, kudos to them, but, like... I Hey, um, Travis Zorinwi, or Zorini, I don't know how to say he the He prefers name. to go by Travis Z. He certainly does prefer to go by Travis <laughs> Z. Hey, Travis Z, don't make another movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah i mean because you took apparently good source material it fucked it up very bad yeah and um i feel bad for you man you're such a big fan of the original this must this must have been a heartbreak when it came out well that's the thing dude i i didn't watch this movie immediately when it came out because i heard that it was a line for line remake and i wasn't interested in that because um i knew that the original is something special not because it's parts but because of the sum of its parts and i didn't need to see that redone in order to 
try to be scary because that's what I figured they would do. A lot of horror remakes nowadays sort of try to um they try to be a horror movie, you know? Nightmare on Elm Street did the same thing. It wants yeah. to scare you. And that's not Well, and Halloween again, that's, did it too, like we were saying. And there's something to be said for trying that, for trying to bring it back to like a roots that is legitimate horror, right? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, but when when this came out, I just I don't watch horror movies to be scared and I didn't, um, I wasn't interested and it was only when the idea for this podcast came up that I thought it would be a really great candidate. And it actually, the movie, um, I didn't, I didn't have a good time with it, but I wasn't disappointed because I had the idea of it, you know, years prior. Right. And also because it showed me that, a movie can be made so many different ways by so many different people. You know, you can have the same script and you can put two different people on it and it comes out in, in totally, in totally different ways. There was like a reality show a few years ago that Shane Dawson was on where the idea was they took two directors, one of them being Shane Dawson and gave them the same script and they each made a movie based on it. And Shane Dawson's movie was a disgusting, vile, teen comedy and the other script was a lot more subdued and um the the other film was a lot more subdued sorry and this just shows me that i'm so glad that the cabin fever we got originally was made by eli roth because if this was the only cabin fever we had i i would be then i would be utterly disappointed because i wouldn't have the original but if anything this movie made me appreciate the original far more yeah, I think more so than Psycho and more so than A Nightmare on Elm Street and more so than Texas Chainsaw, uh, this might be the movie that most encapsulates the power of a remake in terms of recontextualizing and representing the same material. To know that it's the same script really just hammers home what you're saying about different visions and different directors leading to radically different executions on an idea. But like, I cannot believe how bad this turned out. And that I think is partially because you were so fond of the original that before I watched it, I assumed that this was also going to be good. And if it were the same script that you would probably also like it. So maybe I had expectations that weren't deserved, but like, you know, it initially got, a zero on Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomatoes is not the end all be all of if a movie is good or not. But you know, yeah, that's about right. I don't think there's really anything that redeemable going on here. And I certainly wouldn't tell people to watch it. Yeah. And real quick, Corey, let's talk about um, a couple changes at the end, because this is when the movie really differs from the original film. Oh, okay. Totally. Yeah. When the movie ends abruptly after, Jeff is shot and then the bodies are piled and set on fire. That's the end of the movie. In the original film, we get about 20 minutes more of content where the movie really just goes balls to the wall. And they decided to cut all that out, which is amazing because this movie is actually longer than the original. Oh my God, it's so slow. (laughs) Even though they cut out, I think, 30 pages of script. That's what the Travis Z said. He said he took the original script and parsed it down to 94 pages from like 120 Good job, dude. But but the movie is somehow longer, even though they gut that ending. But what we do get is an extra scene at the end after some of the credits. Did you see the scene? Oh my god, is there a mid-credits scene? 
There's a mid credit scene. I actually yeah. didn't because I the credits started like the mm-hmm. after the bodies burned, like we got title card and credits started, and I just turned it off. And normally I am the kind of person who like watches the credits of a movie, mm-hmm. but I just turned it off. I didn't see this. All right. So what happens is we have a character in uh in a dorm room or a, a teenage room. It's it's a it's a teenage girl. I think she has some some relation to one of the characters. I couldn't tell you exactly. I'm already confused, so I didn't miss fucking anything, clearly. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. She goes onto the internet, and she starts scrolling through, like, the Facebook equivalent, and she sees photos of their diseases. Like, she sees, like, Marcy's, like, scabbed legs and stuff, and she's like, ah! And then the movie ends. Um, okay, that doesn't make any sense. So, at the beginning of the movie, they set up that Karen is taking pictures, but they won't send right away because there's no service. And I vaguely remember something that maybe sounded like she was taking more pictures when she was, like, locked in that shed. So, at the best, if we want to give the movie a lot of credit, those could potentially be on the internet. But other than that, fuck you, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just, it's like it's trying to redefine, like, what the thesis of the movie is. Like, you're trying to do, like, some sort of social media something or other. Or you're just, or you're just trying to do another quick, you know, scary tag at the end of the movie. In which case, it baffles me that this is what you think of. Like, you go full unfriended. I don't, (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it either. So before we wrap here, it's something that you said last week, and it's something that you said again this week, and I think it might be an interesting point for us to end our spooktober spooktacular on, which is you've now said twice, I don't watch horror movies to be scared. And I would love to know what that means you are watching horror movies for. I watch horror movies the same reason I watch any movie i just i watch it to have fun and that doesn't mean to be smiling and laughing it just means to be engaged like as long as i'm thinking i'm having fun and so a horror movie is no different from any other movie for me it doesn't need to be scary because other movies don't need to be scary i just i gravitate toward horror movies because the subject matter normally appeals to my sensibilities i like stuff I like stuff that is dark. I like stuff that um, is a bit outlandish and horror movies have a lot of that. But I've been scared by so few horror movies in my life that it would be ridiculous for me to be chasing some sort of dragon that, you know, if a movie scares me, that means it's good. If If a horror movie scares me, I think that's that's really cool and it's certainly a plus, but I wouldn't take it away from any horror movie if it didn't scare me. As long as I'm engaged, I think it's a, it's a good movie. Yeah, okay. Well, now I have to ask, what horror movies have scared you? <laughs> um, what horror movies have scared me? You can only give like there's... one example if there's not many, but I'd be curious to know what the benchmark is. What scares Liam? All right, I'll give you two. One you're familiar with. We saw Black Christmas in the theater yeah. about a week ago, Corey and I, and the phone calls in that movie absolutely terrify me. It's this guy speaking over the phone, babbling incoherently, and you can make out a couple lines here and there, but for the most part, you don't know what he's saying, but in the context of the movie, it's supposed to be one guy on the other end of the phone, and so the thought that this guy is so deranged that he's able to manipulate his voice in this way and he's 
you know, channeling whatever sort of mental illness he has and spewing it out in this way, it just really gets under my skin. Um, I agree. I, I, I think that's a movie from 1974 that I still found. Like, I don't want to say I was scared while watching it, but like it was really effective and tense and good. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, the lines that you do make out in those calls are like really obscene and gross and like mm-hmm. deeply sexualized in a way that just is bad. So like, I definitely agree with that. What's, what's the other one? The other one is a more recent movie um, from 2008 called Lake Mungo. It's an Australian it. horror movie and um, it's a mockumentary film. And most of the film is not scary. It's played really straight, but there's one scene in the movie that sort of reveals to you exactly what's going on. And it's delivered with such conviction and in such a perfect manner. It's, it's one of those movie scenes where I just, it feels like the stars aligned and everything was put on screen exactly the way it should have. I feel the same way about the ending of Sleepaway Camp, which is another movie that scares me, where it's just it's just the everything went perfect, you know. We're talking about how movies can be made in so many different ways and and by so many different people, and I just feel so grateful to live in the timeline where Like Mungo and Sleepaway Camp and Black Christmas were made the way they were, because in those cases, there's some stuff in there that, that really sticks with me and sticks in my mind and, um, and gets under my skin. So if you want to see something scary this October, maybe, maybe give those movies a try. Yeah, and if we're given movies that scare us recommendations, uh, I'm going to go with something that people might flame me for as a basic answer, but go watch Hereditary because that movie's fucking terrifying. Yeah, the movie's scary too. I'm with you. And um, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up our spooktober, spooktacular Halloween extravaganza horror movie marathon good time miniseries. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I think um, we've already talked about a lot of horror movies on this show, but it's fun to do something seasonal and tie things together and really like dive in on a particular thing. And I think the movies that we chose are all really interesting pieces of their franchises. You have the the delayed sequel that still works. You have the late franchise curveball in Halloween Resurrection, and you have the absolutely butchered remake in cabin fever. So I think that there's a lot good to discuss a lot of good to discuss in those movies. And it's been a lot of fun for us. And, um, we would like to thank you once again for listening to, they made another one. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at they made another all one word on anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google podcasts, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you want as they made another one. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and your least favorite scene in Cabin Fever. Um, Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And you can catch me on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price. And with that out of the way... We will catch you here next week for a decidedly less scary... Oh. Oh, wait. Hang on. Something's happening. This won't be less scary. (laughs) Happy Halloween, everybody. Come back for more. They made another one. (laughs) 